Hi guys, it's Andy McDonald, physiotherapist and strength and conditioning coach, and welcome to the Informed Performance Podcast. On today's show, I have Dr. Matt Tabner joining me. Matt is a sports scientist, S&C and rehab coach who has enjoyed career spells at both Aston Villa and Everton Football Club previously. Matt's also just completed his PhD constructing a framework for return to sport in elite football. In this episode, we'll hear Matt explain his work and where it came from, and we'll dive into the Control Chaos Continuum framework that he's produced. Please hit subscribe and leave us a review if you haven't done so already. We always appreciate the feedback and we welcome your suggestions for new guests and new topics that we can cover to your interest. But without further ado, here is the conversation between myself and Dr. Matt Tabiner. Matt, great to have you on the podcast. How are you, mate? Good to have you on. Hi, Andy. Uh, yeah, I'm all good, mate. Thanks. Um, yeah, I think we're in the middle of lockdown at the minute, or in the UK, we're coming to the end of our first three weeks of lockdown. And I think, what time are we on now? Five o'clock, the government are about probably announced we're going into another three weeks of lockdown. But yeah, all good considering. Now, as yourself? Uh, not too bad. Yeah, um, still in the uh, great unknown over here. So podcasting lots and uh, and having good conversations with people like yourself. Um, just to begin with, mate, can you just kind of explain to anyone that may not have come across you yet um, what you've done and what you do currently? Just a little bit of background information would be great. Yeah, yeah, no problem. So, so yeah, it's sort of a long story, I guess. So uh, my background is obviously started a, a BSc in sport and exercise science in uh, where were we? 2003, finished that in 2006, went on to study a master's degree in sport and exercise nutrition at Loughborough University, finished that in 2007. Uh, from that, uh, came out of university and uh, managed to get an opportunity to work at Aston Villa Football Club, uh, went there in 2007 until 2013. And in those periods, I completed my um NSCA, CSTS, and my FA Fitness Trainers Award. Um, and then after that, I went on to work at Everton Football Club from 2013 to recently in 2019, uh, working mainly as in two roles for three and a half seasons as the head of sports science, and then for about two and a half seasons as the head of rehabilitation. Uh, and I've just recently, about a month and a half ago, finished my uh, professional doctorate in applied sport and exercise science at Liverpool John Moores University and also got the RSCC we distinction for the NSCA for obviously over 10 years uh, strength conditioning support for elite athletes in in football so that's a sort of a rough background around my professional and sort of working career in in elite football really and you know, you've recently published uh, quite a few pieces of work that are related to each other around the control chaos continuum. Can you kind of explain it to us and uh, and what it is for those people who haven't seen it yet? Yeah, no problem. So, yeah, really, I suppose, where, where does the, the control chaos continuum come from? I guess it's almost around, so I, I'd take you back to where, obviously, where the publication started. So really, it was around, obviously, starting the professional doctorate process, which I started in January 2018. But really, the process started way before this, and the, the professional doctorate was just a way of sort of formalising my thought process in the way I was working in rehabilitation, really. And it came from really reflective practice of working as an applied sports science practitioner in the, in the elite in the elite demanding environment of the English Premier League, uh, and obviously initially working in the end stages of rehabilitation around the sort of the physical preparation of players to return to training and prior to competition. And moving on from that, it was almost like 
obviously the initial parts as in football rehabilitation is traditionally led by the, the physiotherapy department but it's almost like now where we're seeing this sort of movement towards a progressive rehabilitation model and it's almost like I reflected on this and seeing some of rehabilitation practices and it was almost like when you look across from the team training environment and you look at rehabilitation it's almost like when you look at this concept of ecological validity and trying to match the two there's like a massive gap and it's almost made me question of what's missing here and I suppose my sort of background as a, as a sports pri- sports science practitioner, um, working around sort of uh, the training and the monitoring process in elite football sort of led to me to sort of link some of these gaps together and produce a sort of a progressive approach towards performance-based rehabilitation, interlinking some of obviously the performance technology that's available to us now to, to monitor sort of external load and obviously the internal response to that. Um, but I suppose the big the big thing around that was sort of this, okay, we're looking at these ways, these different concepts that it's built across, is almost then how is the qualitative nature of sort of sport and competition, because sport, we look at it as, as fans and as sort of back, backroom staff on the front line, so to speak, is that football is unpredictable, it's spontaneous, like it's reactive, like we don't know what's really going to happen. And almost like traditional running it isn't what football is about like football's moving in response to the movement of the ball and to other people and it's not just like running in a straight line a to b which has a place and it's time to to develop certain physical qualities but that that doesn't lend itself to rehab whilst rehab like is is training in the presence of an injury we have to also abide by the the healing times of different injuries which there's there's plenty of research out there to highlight different healing times for certain different injuries um yeah this sort of first how where I sort of raised awareness of this sort of concept was back in 2015 when I presented at the Stat Sports uh, Symposium at Wembley Stadium and sort of looked at this sort of return to train, a sort of connected workflow as I titled the presentation back in the time and around this sort of conceptual model of moving from high control and sort of maintaining constraints upon movement variability and then progressively move into this sort of model of a uh, highly chaotic environment that's sort of mimicking the, the nature of the sport as such. And obviously the framework, my background, is designed for professional football. So I had like this formalised sort of idea of this model. And then obviously I moved towards the head of rehabilitation and it sort of like developed sort of a, a big passion and love for the, the rehabilitation, obviously my ability to apply my knowledge in sports science and in strength and conditioning but in the context of a player recovering from injury and different types of injuries present a different problem. So I started this sort of professional doctorate process in 2018 and was lucky to have a really good like um, team behind me, uh, Dr. Daniel Cohen, Professor Barry Dress, Professor Graham Close, Dr. Chris Richter. Uh, so from people from different backgrounds to sort of help me and guide me in the right direction. And I suppose the first idea was then what what is the professional doctorate about? So I think it's important to get across it. It's not the traditional PhD pathway, preparing people really for academic study. It's around sort of giving rise to new research from applied practice, but obviously has high standards of scientific rigor at the same time. And normally that's what I try to do. My learning experience as a practitioner and obviously what football has given me over this 12 years was to try and give it something back to football. In fact, this huge gap in terms of... uh, a framework for on-pitch rehabilitation that was a, a huge gap in the literature that, that was clear to see when I looked in detail. Um, and obviously to yeah, give rise to this new knowledge and obviously to go through this process of what is a conceptual framework, first of all. So you've got sort of um, a conceptual framework is this important post, 
part of interlink, interlinking a set of interrelated concepts rather than a theoretical the, uh, framework is a theory that stands alone on its own. So I went through this process that's out there called, when I look through the literature, of a conceptual framework analysis model. Uh, Jabir in 2009, I think the, the author was for that. And it's sort of like, okay, phase one is mapping of these selected data sources, which is obviously going through sort of your, your lit review, what you need to understand, which was sort of guided from my experience of this model that had evolved over a period of time and my experience as a practitioner. Then reading through, sort of categorizing these into the key concepts that need to consider for obviously a progressive on-pitch rehabilitation approach. And then obviously identifying naming these concepts, because ultimately the idea of this as a conceptual framework is knowledge translation. So there's no point knowledge sitting there if people can't use it in a form. So it was for me about, okay, I need to be really precise and think about what are the key concepts that need to be included in this framework and how can I name them? So obviously, if people can understand this and take it and sort of maybe apply it in the context of their own environment, not in my environment that I was working. Because uh, everyone's interpretation of things is different in, in, in sports science and different environments. So obviously, then I, what I decided was deconstructing and categorizing these constructs that have come together, integrating them together at phase five, and then ultimately synthesizing them into this framework that was termed the control chaos continuum. And then really like the, that was the, the main point around constructing this framework. So I went through this in-depth review, looked through the different areas that need to be considered to obviously produce the framework. And then there was a couple of important ones that support the framework in a progressive on-pitch rehabilitation approach because rehab's not just about the on-pitch rehabilitation. It's obviously about the optimal loading and the strength and conditioning supports to get that player to the point where he can actually return to pitch. And then obviously the, the, the strength and power diagnostics as I've termed it in terms of looking to assess and objectively inform how, how the, the body is responding to the, the load that's being exposed to it. And obviously doing that progressively through the on-pitch rehabilitation to obviously inform your clinical reasoning as a practitioner. So really it was at that point where we constructed this framework, which is obviously was published in the, the British Journal of Sports Medicine um, with obviously Video, video content in, in it sort of to offer like a unique sort of uh, feature in like a, a new sort of publishing landscape to obviously show people this, okay, this does actually happen in real life. It's not someone just obviously writing it down and, yeah, theoretically, no, this happens. This happens with elite football players worth a lot of money and this is the process we go through and this is the information we use and why we use it. And then it was about then sort of testing this framework. So obviously rehab, it's not about... Uh, Knowing that with rehab, every individual is different. We can't treat exactly the same hamstring injury exactly the same way because it's a different person, it's a different player. We need to take loads of considerations into account with the, the, the team, so the physiotherapy team, the sports science team, the sports nutrition team, the psychologist. All these different people can, can add something to this return to sport process to obviously, ultimately, is trying to get that player back as quickly as you can, as safely as you can. So the idea was to then obviously knowing the time was trying to test that framework in three different cases which was one we went we classified it through as a one being a, a common injury obviously a, a hamstring strain injury being the most common and prevalent injury in elite professional football secondly obviously a rare injury a tibia fibula fracture um, and then thirdly and finally one that's obviously still is, is not yet to be published which hopefully will be in the coming months is uh, following um, uh, the most, probably the most severe, one of the most severe injuries in, in the professional game, which is the ACL reconstruction. And obviously two of them, the, the first two obviously in elite male football players, and then the last one to come out will be an elite female football player. 
obviously people are aware of the obviously the height and risk for ACL injuries and how problematic they are within uh, the elite women's game. So that was really sort of where the model came from and, and what I did within in my professional doctorate. I hope that gives you sort of a, a snapshot idea of what I did and why I did it. Yeah, I think a brilliant answer, mate. I think you really uh, you did a good job um, giving us the history and the kind of framework for how it how it actually functions. Um, yeah. Maybe one thing that I maybe would add is like the importance of like why. Why is rehab important to uh, not just an elite football club, but an elite sporting organisation? I think that's really the, the key of this. Why is it important? And I think it's important because obviously we know injury is a problem. We know injury is a big problem in elite football. And obviously it's that, like now it's about risk assessment, risk and reward, because we know there's a lot of money at stake because if you finish higher at the table or you get to the latter stages of European competition means more money for the organisation. And ultimately, if you don't have your key players available because of injury, that means your chances of success are obviously inhibited, which is obviously then like going to propose risk to the player, to propose risk to the team, to the manager, to the, the organisation, because that's what it's about. So if clubs have these distinct and key rehab processes in place with like key staff in place that do this then it can actually bring fruits to the reward and that that we can have successful rehab and keep players fit and available for the manager to select and I use I use I suppose I use the term processes rather than protocols because I think protocol sets out that we do things the same way all the time which doesn't lend itself well to rehab because we have to be adaptable and I think it's about having considerations for each injury but we know we have to adapt these considerations based on the individual who's at the centre of this at the, at the, at this process. And I think you've done a great job, actually, of um, creating a you know a common language um, for describing a rehab a rehab pathway, regardless of which discipline is involved and at what stage. I think you've done a great job of um, tying together a lot of moving parts or moving people in this situation, um, depending on the setting. Yeah, I appreciate that's really good feedback and like feedback like that's brilliant. And I, I suppose like I say phase seven was validating it. Again, phase eight, which leaves this open of this sort of conceptual framework analysis, is like rethink, rethinking these models, which is the beauty of it. It's a conceptual framework that over time, if things and new knowledge comes to comes to light, we can adapt and change this conceptual model to to drive rehab processes forward, like firstly in professional football where this was developed for, but across all other team sports where this model of moving from high control to high chaos really has, I see it and maybe other people that I've spoke to within in the sports science, sports science medicine sort of world has has as real sort of a good foundation to produce a, an effective sort of return to sport process. You mentioned ecological validity. Where do you think are the, the biggest gaps or disconnect between traditional rehab processes and the on-field performance aspects? I mean, I suppose the, the thing is around where it comes from is obviously, like I mentioned, it's rehab on, on pitch rehabilitation, which is traditionally led by the, the physiotherapy department in football. And obviously the sports science, strength and conditioning staff sort of tapping at the, the later stages. And you've got this like a emerging continuum of where people move in, depending on what club they're in. Obviously, I know every club is different. Uh, and every and it's like every every practitioner, every physio, every sports science, every strength and conditioning cast, uh, staff, sorry, has different skill sets and I think the skill sets is the most important thing what who has the skills to deliver at what stages will depend on where these interlink and in this return to sport processes such as we took it return to sport continuum I should say as Claire Arden's turned it we've got this return to participation phase in rehab we've got return to sport when the player goes up 
back in. And then we've got this return to performance phase, which really, in essence, we don't know really too much about at the minute, which there's obviously loads of promising research within that sort of uh, continuum that Claire's proposed that can, can be the future of sort of this sort of work. Um, but I think really where the problems stem, I guess, maybe around academic backgrounds. And when you think what's needed for a progressive rehabilitation approach and what's within that is really where you'll see where if you see uh, the, what's in a learning model, maybe for a, a physiotherapy degree and a sports science degree. And maybe I'm lucky having done an FA Fitness Trainers Award, which is geared towards sort of post postgraduate sort of football specific education around what's required. And it's maybe what's needed. So if, you, if you're returning some back into team training in the modern world, we need to think about the training and monitoring process of how these players train, how often they train, what's the philosophy of the way they train, depending on the manager is. And obviously, what's, what's the running load exposure of these players and what are the physical qualities that are required? And when you look at like an undergraduate physiotherapy degree, they don't, that knowledge base doesn't really tend itself to that sort of level. It's more maybe sports science orientated, strength and conditioning orientated. And whereas the model is led towards maybe working in, a, in, a, in England around a, sort of a, a clinical setting, in a hospital setting, which management of the early stages of sort of uh, injury and information, trauma and those things, which is brilliant. And I think it's about knowing who has the right skills to, to, to help each other in, in this sort of progressive approach. And I suppose really at Everton, that's what we did so well for, so many years we we worked together and we obviously some of the cases that we produced and showed successful rehab processes of how this sort of model interlinked um but it's really that and it, when you look about what's needed for progressive on-pitch rehabilitation what did i look at in my lit review and it's about obviously the the periodization and load management side it's around the quantification of load what are things do we need to consider it's around the training of sports specific skills the energy system conditioning and, and importantly then obviously the qualitative aspects of sport and competition, which has sort of led me down the path of looking at this, uh, the dynamic systems theory and the, the constraints model of how we can use this constraints led approach to guide the, the environment, the athlete that's obviously moving towards either a high controlled, like limiting movement variability and obviously the, the running load demands and physical qualities that we can develop, obviously given the state of, of healing and then move into this sort of high chaos phase where the players progress through healing we can increase the obviously the musculoskeletal demands placed off the athlete in terms of the running running speeds and running intensities and obviously do it in a in a, in a fashion that's more mimicking the the movement patterns in sport obviously the movement in, in response to the movement of other people and players and staff in and around trying to create this environment of team training and that the the speed of the athlete is such as dictated by obviously maybe how that works whether it's in terms of like the model of the coke, where it's in possession and it's attack or defense or transition between the two, how how is those those high speed running efforts achieved? And when you look at football, which most of us do with the access we have to Sky Sports and BT and so forth, now we can take these the powerful use of video as well, which are planned sessions that obviously sort of represent ecological validity for that sort of player and if it's sort of how that player got injured in a specific run as such we can replicate that to give player confidence so yeah there's, there's so many different avenues like i've touched on there and like each of those like periodization we could go into in depth around period, periodization in rehab i mean these things haven't really been touched on but i mean without people doing there and putting the information out there i guess that it won't be it won't it won't come to fruit i think you made a really interesting point actually earlier on then um you know mid to late rehab is a real gray area really i've never thought of this before but 
Um, you know, no one's foundation training really covers the mid to late stage rehab well, because, and I, I can definitely stand up to this, that your traditional physiotherapy training does not do a good job if you're heading towards performance um, at breaking down, you know, the, the ladder of what an athlete needs to be able to do to get back on the field and actually performing. Um, and I think it really highlights that, you know, no one's foundational training covers that. So you do as a practitioner of any of the, any of the disciplines have to upskill yourself, um, in another area to then deliver the rehab. So, but I think it really, you know, I think your framework is therefore really helpful because it creates something that people can use, um, you know, regardless of their disciplines, try and aid them through that gray area that maybe exists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was the whole idea of like trying to obviously big thing around the doctorate is dissemination of information and, and giving re, giving rise to new research and the way of the, the publications and sharing some of the obviously the video content, infographics and different different types of articles. Obviously, we've had an editorial, we've had a viewpoint um, and as such that I think the last one will be a more in-depth case report in a bit more detail. Um, and hopefully not just sharing the on-pitch side, but obviously the whole process, like the, the, the strength and conditioning support of how you prepare specific injuries as well for, for a progressive on-pitch rehabilitation. Because obviously if that structure hasn't gone through, obviously this process, obviously the optimal loading as Phil Glasgow has termed it, then obviously the risk of re-injury is probably greater in a rehab. Obviously then you've got to also got to abide by obviously the healing times. For example, if it's a tenderness sort of a, uh, C classification obviously players tend to feel better a lot earlier but obviously that sometimes if you push too quickly it can come to to bite bite back at you and so it's obviously knowing when to push and why you're pushing and obviously knowing that sometimes that there might be a case if it's in if it's a key man that you need returning that they may need to be fast tracked knowing that it's going to be it could be risky and that athlete could break down but only that if it's a, say, a FA Cup semi-final that the team may need that player back to play because they're a key player and if there's a sort of a 70% chance that they're in a good state and not going to get re-injured, then ultimately it comes down to that shared decision-making process we, we talked about where everyone puts all this information on the on the table, where Shear did a great job in his sort of um, his sort of decision-making tree of what we need to consider for to making these decisions. Um, and obviously the information in terms that was missing from that was obviously the, the, the amount of sports-specific training that athlete has performed. And I think that concept of, return to chronic load as such um if it's if it is a longer term injury where it's a short-term injury that's a whole new story and something maybe that i'll come on to talk about in the, in the next few months around how this framework doesn't apply to just long-term injuries is how we can take subsections at certain time points and apply it to short-term injuries as well because obviously it's not just long-term injuries that happen in football it's also short short-term injuries you know, I really appreciate that you've created a framework and then provided some formalized examples or cases uh, that relate to different types of injuries. Uh, you've mentioned a minute ago the ACL rehab and uh, female athletes as uh, case studies coming out or to do. Um, is there any other injuries that you think you would like to try and cover with it or uh, will you stop kind of producing cases as, we, as you go forward? I think it's one of these things where obviously part of the doctoral process is like future research where you think this will go and where it will seem to develop and obviously part of that maybe sort of we that we we, we released the sort of the return to performance pathway in the aspartar uh, sports medicine journal previously is obviously like moving this once an athlete comes back after acl which is a, it's a long injury they have sort of 
a minimum sort of nine month process when you look at what you say um, graph maturation I think it was grind time that showed that for every month you leave it after nine months there's a sort of I think it was 45% reduction in re-injury um, which obviously shows you that healing and the graph maturation is important for that type of injury but then obviously you, you come back from an ACL and I think speaking to I don't know whether you've heard of Dustin Grooms who works at the University of Ohio and is, is doing some stuff around neuroplasticity after brain injury which really really interesting I was lucky to catch up with him at the the Kinsport conference in Paris and talk around some of the concepts and obviously the, the part of the qualitative element of the continuum is to obviously challenge the neurocognitive side of the player as well, not just the running side, because ACL injuries is sport specific sort of injuries considerations. When you think about it, it's not just a as, as a musculoskeletal injury, it's a, a neuro a neurophysiological injury as well that's being suggested. So and it's sort of suggesting that certain subsections of the brain are, and have a heightened activity after ACL at sort of a lower intensity than they would do previously. So it's almost considering that as well. So I think we, we reduced this framework, which return to performance pathway, where there is in the literature, obviously, it's got return to train, non-contact, return to train contact, return to competition, and then return to performance as such. But no one's really gone into that. OK, what do those phases look like? What do you do in those phases? How, how do you continue to monitor the player? What do you look for? How does the periodization structure look within within a sort of a, that environment? I think that was what we tried to do, and what we will try to do with them. With obviously with this, this for my doctorate, I went to return to sport. But then obviously the the last piece is then following this female athlete through, not just to return to sport using the control towers continuum, but using this return to path performance pathway. Uh, for a period so we followed the player not just to return to sport we followed the player for sort of 29 weeks and she went on to play for, for her national team at the FIFA Women's World Cup and we, we obviously important part of long-term rehab tracking that people this is that point of recognizing around quantification of load is that we sent exactly the same GPS uh, unit with the player because obviously they were using different units that we can conflict in because of obviously how the way that uh uh, load metrics such as running thresholds, etc. How they're calculated, what filters are applied, the quality of the data, what's the height dot, what's the number of satellites it's connected to. All these things that you consider when you use GPS that maybe that people don't consider. So we sent it with the same unit. We monitored that player through that whole return to performance sort of process for 29 weeks. Which, fingers crossed, I should be able to share with everyone in the coming months. And, you know, S&Cs dealing with rehab or sports scientists um, and physios, you know, from different sports are going to want to know how they can apply it to their sports environment. You've, of course, based the work on, uh, on, on football or soccer for the Americans, which, you know, makes it quite easy for other people in field sports to apply like rugby. Um, but obviously it's a framework. So I presume the, you know, the application of the principles could be flexible to different sports, like, for example, court-based sports with basketball. Have you have you been involved in uh, helping teams from other sports, or have you seen your work implemented outside of um, field sports and football? Um, in terms of like, where, like for sure, it's something we mentioned. And we mentioned it in the infographic piece. In terms of this, this framework has huge like huge application in terms of I see as a practitioner outside of, outside of professional football, uh, different running sports, like you mentioned, basketball, rugby. Um, Shane, Shane Lee the uh, Melbourne Rebels did a did a case study on a uh, a rugby player coming back from an ACL reconstruction, and obviously I think that was in the Australian Strength and Conditioning Journal as a case report, and used the, used the concepts of the framework in terms of moving from high control to to high chaos, and that that's the 
the, the first sort of other piece of published work that I've seen on on the use of the framework in other sport. Um, and obviously myself and people that I know within other sports are looking to obviously work on sport specific variations of of the of the framework as well. Because obviously my background is is in football and comes from working in that environment for twelve years. So obviously colleagues that I know in other sports is sort of tap into their knowledge and work together and try and drive this framework to sort of be more specific because obviously specificity is an important sort of quality that's maybe neglected now in, in sport. Um, and yeah, I, there is huge, huge implications for this. I've, sp- I've spoken, 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 sorry, my, my English is not the best. Um, I've spoken to a couple of people in the, the NBA around its usage and they, they, they have interest in sort of the framework and its principles and, and there's definitely the work that I will continue to do in, in the coming months. Um, but obviously how I see myself once I, once I um, begin in, in a new role, hopefully in the coming months, is sort of looking at this sort of a long term and maybe showing how this works over a longitudinal process. So you might have within a season three hamstrings, three groin strains, two or three, say, syndesmotic injuries, et cetera. And, and how, how does the application of that framework look? What, is, what does the running load look like within the specific phases? Um, what objective monitoring do you use at different phases for those different injuries? Obviously, we have that table around low considerations and gender power diagnostic specific injuries. So I see there's a, there's a long, long way to go with this. And there's this, these concepts that can we sort of validate them from a more from a, a scientific point of view? Like the concept of return to chronic load, what is it? What does it mean? Does it mean if you return an athlete to their pre-injury training load demands, does it reduce their risk of injury? I think Stair, Jordan Stair did a great job in AFL showing that if you extend a player's return to sport process for maybe a week more and do more training, there was a reduced risk of injury. So can we apply this framework in, in professional football to different injuries and use such of these concepts, such as the return to chronic load in terms of long-term injuries. And does it mean if we train the athlete to their pre-injury or maybe above, depending on if it's another season, it's a new manager because the training methodology changes, everyone flows. And I think it's, yeah, do we see a reduction in re-injury if we use this framework? And I think I think there was a, one of the frameworks that I did look at that was for us amateur was one by Hagland 2007, which was like a, a 10-step rehabilitation program. And semi-amateur football players, which showed that if you followed this framework, there was there was a reduction in, in the injury risk. Obviously, there's a huge difference between semi-amateur and professional elite players as well. So, yeah, this huge scope for transfer of this framework into other sort of team-based sports, as, as far as I can see, and stuff that we will look to work on in the, in the future and in the coming months. I guess the nice thing for you is you've created a framework that's quite flexible and adaptable to different environments. So whether it's you or another practitioner as time goes on the kind of the data elements of it or the the specifics can be built upon um as a kind of science and and inevitably technology will change and methods will change but it can still be applied hopefully to the same framework and just get built up and built out in that way yeah like you say like talk about technology and it's maybe a bugbear in mind that where i started from when in 2000 in seven in football, we used a Polar Team 1 system that used to beep, beep, beep in, in the office at the time. And GPS was sort of in the early stages of being used. And we relied on sort of heart rate data to make decisions and inform clinical reasoning. Now we come to where we are now in 2020 and we're talking like magnetometers, gyroscopes, accelerometers, uh, GNS now rather than global positioning systems. And uh, I think, yeah, it's I, I think the big question for me is obviously... It's obviously around the needs analysis of the sport this is going to be used in. What are the demands of that sport? What 
Physical qualities are important for development in sport. For example, football is a highly aerobic, elastic sport with repeated sprint qualities, which you've got variation on running low demands within positions and then different players within positions. And I think it's then applying those sort of concepts into different sports. Don't I think it's we need to be important to not to neglect these underlying principles that condition players 10, 15 years ago, but obviously be aware that technology will help to drive things forward as well. And I think, like I say, the experience is important and it's, it's the clinical reason that you have as a practitioner to do something in this environment. I think that's crucial. It's not just, yeah, we're just going to rock up on Tuesday and do this session with a player because he's out for six weeks because it's not going to help you. You, you may do you may do push that player one day and then where do you go from there? It's around a long-term strategic planning. And I think like a big part of this is obviously being in the environment, being used to be able to communicate with players and talk to players, see how they feel, say how they respond. Could you make, can you push players on certain days that you might be, be able to beyond their sort of upper and lower limits of sort of target running load metrics that you might have for that session? Given that they're not going to be the, the underlying principle of why you condition someone, it's the, the physical qualities that you're looking to target given the, the time frame that the injury is in. And I think that's really important. And then, yeah, I think the big phase of there's more things to come in this and how we can drive this forward and sort of adapt and involve this framework not in football as well. Because I think when we look at the different layers and the different staff that are involved in, in football these days, that there is there's definitely ways that I see and I envisage of how this framework can be used. And I think beyond rehab even, I think how can we use this framework for planning a pre-season with a team? It's not saying that you have to have specific phases that are high control to high chaos. You might have subsection drills within a certain day that are moving from control to chaos. So we know when a player comes back after pre-season, the player has been out for a long period. He's been out, he's deconditioned relative to his when he's in season. Maybe having a period of like controlled sessions and, and driving some uh, aerobic capacity and improving that player's sort of re- resilience as such for a period of time before we m- and, and do these high-speed running uh, demands uh, under control first before we start to do them in these sport-specific scenarios. And I think th- this this huge scope for this sort of this qualitative aspects of, of movement in competition. Uh, and I think when we understand that obviously sport is react is reactive, it's spontaneous, unpredictable, then that's key to preparing players uh, because we have to challenge players. We have to challenge them neurocognitively to, to work and to fulfil that to fulfil the um, the tactical requirements of the manager, which obviously is a challenge for them, a thought challenging process. So we just need to not just think about the physical side, we need to think about the, the obviously the uh, technical and technical as well. I'm really glad you just highlighted, um, you know, just how important it is to relate what we're doing now in real time back to the first principles and, and reasons why and the intent for doing things. Um, and it really reminded me actually, when we had Dan Howes on, he mentioned uh, I think when he was working in rugby and he had a simpler setup and he was having to plug sort of simpler methods into Excel and, and try and understand the relationships that way rather than having a, an athlete management system back in the day. Yep. I'm really glad that, you know, years ago I did work in quite a simple time where you did plug in simple data sets and wellness data and you placed it in one place and tried to create meaning and understand the relationships between stuff. Um, and you know, I'm not, I'm really not saying that we should go back to that. I think the, the AMS systems are fantastic, but I am glad that I, I came out of a very simple time originally. Yeah, no, no, I totally agree with that. I think sometimes we, 
basically ne- neglect the basics of where we came from as individuals. And this is probably a big thing for me as well is people wanting to jump the gun of where they are in 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 that sort of uh, professional world. So people thinking they've been in professional sport for maybe two, three, four, maybe five years, and they almost consider themselves as um, an expert high performance practitioner, which yeah, I, I just don't see where it comes from when. They haven't been involved in different environments, maybe different clubs, different managers, different scenarios, working in a different role within these environments, which really challenges you to be an intellectual practitioner within this within this like demanding world of elite sport. So I think we have to be careful of how we use titles like high performance practitioner, because ultimately what's wrong with being either a strength and conditioning coach or a sports scientist? We can't categorize <laughs> it any more than people are already doing, in my opinion. And I think it's 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 so ambiguous, isn't it? I mean, ultimately, when you're doing a task, that task is going to relate to one of the disciplines more than another. So just being true to one of those disciplines sometimes I think is <laughs> keeps everything a bit simpler. It's understanding where your role is and what, what you can add to the team. I think because ultimately we all have the same goal of making players available for the manager to pick the best players for the team to be successful. We all share the same goals as a, as a team, or hopefully we should anyway. And what's the, you know, you've kind of mentioned a few things about what you're uh, going to be up to in the next few months. What's the kind of next step for you or what's the, the direction you're going to be taking? Well, so obviously, obviously, I left Everton in the, the summer of 2019 and obviously after working in football for 12 years, which is, is sort of pretty, pretty demanding in itself, um, as many people in football will tell you, the amount of hours and the sacrifices that you make as a, as a, as a human being, I guess. Uh, I mean, since then, obviously... Complete, I decided myself to take a little bit of time to reflect on my, my time in sport and consider where sport is and what I want to do for myself. And at the time, it was about obviously finishing the things that I thought were important at the time. So finishing my professional doctorate, which I did, and defending my Viva a few months ago. Um, finishing off, obviously, that process of continuing to disseminate the research to the wider sports science and medical community. Um which is obviously partly finishing on publications and discussing with people and applications. Um, finishing my NSCA RSCC distinction, like I said. Um, just waiting for my bases, high performance sport accreditation portfolio to come back. And then, yeah, we're, obviously we're in a period now where sports on shutdown. So the period where I'm looking, obviously, for for new opportunities in elite sport. To obviously, I've been at two football clubs for six years, where I've been at clubs and sort of put structure in place, put programs in place. Uh, obviously at Everton, I was lucky enough to obviously build the, the S&C facility there and give uh, put that in place with uh, Soren X and Play, which if you've seen any of the pictures that you're available, you'll probably see that it's one of the, the probably one of the, the the most sort of cutting edge and sort of designed S&C facilities around the, how I visited a team training in, in professional football, which it's worth jumping on and have a look at that if you're looking to develop a, an s facility. Um, yeah, it's around me finding a new challenge where I can work with good people who share the same sort of collective goals and, and, and driving sports science and practice forward and linking, linking together. And people, obviously, who can sort of leave their egos at the doorstop and do, do, do the right things and be, be, be a good team. It's about, that's what it's about in this game. It's being a good team and doing the right thing and putting on CPD for staff so they can learn and they can develop and make better make better people and practitioners themselves. And I, I maybe I'm lucky enough that people who maybe work with me have gone on to better things. People have gone on to do the, the PhD studentships at Liverpool Football Club. 
Uh, there's other couple of practitioners working in the Premier League. Um, so, yeah, hopefully those people are, have learned good ways of working in, in sport. And maybe I, hopefully I can say that some of, the, some of my traits, some that are positive, some that are negative, have maybe uh, rubbed off on people in a positive way. But, yeah, it's about obviously for me looking for a new challenge that presents the right opportunity that sees some, someone sees that I have uh, skills and experience that I can offer them to help drive the, the processes forward within their, within their football club or within another sporting organisation. And where can people, where's the best place for people to follow you on online in terms of watching that journey evolve? Of course, obviously like social media now where it is, I suppose the best one is maybe obviously Twitter as a, as a feeder. Obviously I post all my, all my research online. So at Matt Taberner or my, my research gate as well. Um, that you'll be able to find me. I think it's Matt Taverner too, where all my access to all my publications and research is open access for anyone to, in the world to see. Um, so it's it's there, and all the videos that are shared within the content uh, within the, in the publications online. If you access obviously the British Journal of Sports Medicine and so forth. Well, mate, thank you so much for coming on. This has been a, a conversation I've been looking forward to, and and it, you know it didn't disappoint. So. Thanks for giving up some time and and kind of sharing your views and everything. Oh, brilliant, Alice. Oh, I appreciate the well, uh, appreciate the uh, invitation to come and speak and more just just having a chat with with people who uh, want to share sort of um, thought process and yeah, really like no. Thanks very much. I appreciate the time. No, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. No, thank you. I'd like to thank Matt for coming on. I had a great chat with Matt both on and off air, and I really enjoyed recording the insights that he shared about how his ideas develop from practice to publishing a usable framework that we can all use in rehab. Next episode, I'll be catching up with fellow British physio or physical therapist in America, Dr. Andy Barr. Andy has worked at Man City Football Club and the New York Knicks to name a few, but he's currently based in LA where he has set up Quantum Performance, a company helping high-profile athletes return to elite-level sport. Thanks for listening to today's Informed Performance podcast episode. Stay healthy and safe, and I'll see you next week.